Okay, we're ready to jump into Numbers 15, 16, and 17 today. Uh, just a quick recap from the last time we got together. We only covered two chapters, 13 and 14, and that's where uh, we see Caleb and Joshua's faith um, highlighted. And, of course, um, the, the rest of the crew uh, who were not... Um, faithful as the New Testament would call them or uh, not believing um, as far as uh, acting upon uh, their faith that God would keep their promise, his promise that they would inherit the land. Um, and then towards the end of 14, we've got um, sort of the rumblings of some disgruntlement and we're going to see that uh, really come to fruition in 15. So 15, 16, and 17 um, Elizabeth and Sherry, are there any things um, that as a whole you wanted to bring out before we go in individually into the chapters? Elizabeth? Yeah, so this time I know I've talked a lot about how I'm just frustrated with the continual complaining, mm -hmm. but I really thought about what you said last time, Summer, and was thinking more about Moses' perspective mm -hmm. and just the immense humility that he has. Um, and something that stood out to me this time, but that didn't stood out to, didn't stand out to me last time, but I think is also true, is that after chapter 12, so after the whole debacle with Aaron and Miriam, mm -hmm. every time it talks about the people doing something, it's Moses and Aaron falling on their face before God, because mm -hmm. that happens twice in this section. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was kind of interesting seeing that change from... Aaron being kind of with the people and working against Moses, or if you think about the golden calf, he's not like really stepped up into that leadership position. Um, so seeing that kind of change, I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sherry, were there things from the whole um, section as a whole? So getting back to the structure of this whole section from numbers 10 to numbers 21, um, we're going to see this, um, Aaron's rod budding, that is the center of the chiasm that we're working on right now. So we're building up to that. Also, um, I just thought it was interesting. This is the first time that somebody rebels against Moses and Moses says, don't let them get away with this. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, every other time he said, no, 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 don't, do, don't destroy. No, please, you know. And this time he's like, don't let them get away with this because I haven't done anything to them. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just think it's interesting that Moses is getting to a point where he's like, just go ahead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That did strike me as well this time of the, the whole attitude of like, look, I, I mean, it almost reminds me of some of David's Psalms of I'm innocent, you mm -hmm. know, examine what I've done, you know, mm -hmm. okay, now hold those who are guilty, guilty, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and for me in this section as a whole, um, chapter 15, and we'll, we'll be getting into this in a little bit, but also I believe in, in the next, at least in chapter 16 as well, the idea of, you know, if there are foreigners among you, they need to walk like you. Mm -hmm. Um, and just that idea of if you are going to be among my people, you need to walk like my people. Mm -hmm. um, and just a lot of thoughts for me in carrying on to the New Testament where, you know, it's an obvious um, we are bringing all people 
mm-hmm. into this family that are willing to walk worthy of the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that it, I, I'm starting to kind of mull over and make a, a few connections mm-hmm. here and there. So anyway, that stood out to me on this read through when mm-hmm. it hasn't necessarily stood out before. So. Um, okay, so um, we'll go ahead and jump into chapter 15 then and look at that first. Um, so we start off in in the first verse where God is speaking to the Israelites and says, when you enter into the land, here are the offerings that you need to, to make. And so there's an offering of either a goat or a lamb and then you've got a tenth of grain, a tenth of a hen of grain, and then a fourth of a hen of olive oil, a fourth of a, a hen of wine. And then the same thing is repeated, but with bigger numbers. So with a bull, you've got three tenths of a hen of grain, a half of a hen of olive oil, a half of a hen of wine. So, um, so it is interesting to me. Uh, well, let me just walk through the summary and then we'll go back on that. But you got those two um, addressed first of, you know, when you go in, the focus is make sure that you are bringing the sacrifice to God. In other words, um, show your gratitude uh, for what God has done. Um, Very reminiscent to me of, um, you know, when Noah steps off of uh, the ark and offers sacrifice immediately, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but then we go down, get down to verse 13, and this is kind of what I was um, alluding to before, where he addresses that um, not only does every native-born person need to do these things, but also if there is a, a what in this, this translation says, a resident foreigner mm-hmm. um, who's living with you, um, they also must do this. Um, and the wording in verse 16, mm-hmm. one law and one custom must apply to you and to the resident foreigner who lives alongside you. So, you know, you're behaving as, as one people, basically, in, in regards to this. Um, then he goes into um, when they offer up the raised offering to the Lord, which is, you know, almost like a first fruits mm-hmm. kind of thing, offering up the cake um, from the finely ground flour. Um, and then verse 21 says, you must give to the Lord some of the first of your finely ground flour. Mm-hmm. And again, just as a, it seems like uh, out of gratitude for what God has done for you and bringing you into this land. And then we go switch into unintentional sin, and the sacrifice that is required for that. Um, and again, this, it, it, this is the point where it stuck out to me. Okay, all of these have the meat, the bread, the wine. And, you know, then I'm making that connection as I get to this point of, oh, you know, Lord's Supper, we have the bread, the wine, because the meat is already, you know, yeah. And so anyway, that just was an interesting connection that I haven't, you know, seen before. So, um, and then, you know, but of course it takes me three of those (laughs) before I'm like, oh, hey, another pattern that, you know, has been here all along Mm -hmm. and I haven't paid attention to it. But uh, anyway, so unintentional sin. Now this, the first one, I believe, yep, this, the whole community that, you know, here's what you do is if you sin as a whole, 
unintentionally. And then um, 27 through 29, we see, now here's what you do if you personally sin unintentionally. And here's here are the steps you need to take for that. Mm-hmm. But then verse 30 um, it is so impactful where the person who acts defiantly, mm-hmm. um, and then again, whether native-born or resident, mm-hmm. insults the Lord. Um, and then the very harsh punishment comes from that. You're going to be, you are cut off because it's spelled out. You've despised the word of the Lord and you've broken his commandment. You knew, you know what you are doing. Um, and that person is completely cut off and it's iniquity upon them. And again, it goes back to me to the, is this, is this a person like David who would have a con? A, a broken and contrite heart after knowing what he's done. No, this is someone who actively is pursuing a life that is not uh, blessed, that is not God ordained. Mm-hmm. So um, in verse 32, then um, we have this real, I mean, just in, in my reading, I just, I, I see this and go, oh, it just seems so hard, and I'm sure Sherry, you'll do a good job on kind of walking us through this a little bit. But a man is found um, on the Sabbath day gathering up wood, um, and they take him into custody because they're not sure what exactly they're going to do with him. Um, but when they go and consult with Moses, and Moses consults with the Lord, he is to be stoned, and the whole camp participates in that because he has actually violated the Sabbath. Um, and then in the last section that we see, verses 37 through 41, um, he is telling the Israelites that they're going to make basically remembrances, the tassels. Um, and it is just so interesting to me that these always seem to so easily go to problems um, when, you know, we've got physical reminders that should, that like their purpose is to help remember help the people remember to obey all of God's commandments and to be holy and separate to God mm-hmm. but you know New Testament connections there they become you know almost like a vain glory and and that is so sad um, because in all things that are good can be perverted and torn, torn, turned into something that they were not originally meant to be um, but I do think it's interesting that he says that all these things um, throughout the old law that are physical, that it's the purpose is always supposed to be making sure you remember you're not, you're not among these people. You are not supposed to be connecting to the people of the world, but you're supposed to be connecting to God's mm-hmm. God because he is holy and that's who you are. So anyway, that's... Uh, basic summary um quick run through on 15 and uh sherry if you don't mind starting us off with your observations through 15. okay um one of the things that i noticed from this and this is one of those things that when someone points it out to you then you see it everywhere um um i was listening to gary fisher talk about this about this topic um i don't know a couple of years ago and he mentioned that all throughout the Old Testament, and part of the New, um, is mentioned the grain, the wine, and the oil. Mm-hmm. The grain, the wine, and the oil. The grain, the wine. Everywhere. 
the grain, the wine, and the oil. Mm -hmm. And here it is again. Mm -hmm. um, um, in the context that he was talking about it, it was like um, a famine would be really would be bad if the grain, if the grain crop of grain was destroyed. Mm -hmm. If the wine was destroyed, that was even worse because grain can be replaced the next year. Mm -hmm. If the grapevines are destroyed, it takes a couple of years to get new grapevines to actually bear grapes. Mm -hmm. And if the oil is destroyed, that's the olive trees. That's mm -hmm. trees. So that'd be super bad. Right. So um, I think a lot of times the grain, the wine, and the oil represents like everything but short, medium, and long-term blessings that God gives us. And um, um, because that's basically, I mean, you're talking about grain, you're talking about anything that you make out of grain, which is bread. Mm -hmm. um, wine was basically the main thing they had to drink. And the oil, you know, is, is um, expensive, it's very rich, it's used to make a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, uh, and it, it takes a long time to grow the olive trees in order to make the oil. And so, um, and it's used for a lot of different things. It's used, it was used for cooking, it was used to anoint people. Um, so, and it sort of represented uh, this um, richness, mm -hmm. you know, that if you have a lot of olive trees, then you're pretty well off. Um, so anyway, um, all those things are in all of these sacrifices. You have a, a meat sacrifice, but he says in every single one, uh, uh, there's to be a grain offering, mm -hmm. a, a drink offering, which is the wine and oil. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but that's, that's going to be once they go into the land. Mm -hmm. They're not in the land yet. Right. So they don't have any of that stuff. Because yeah. they're not growing crops and they're moving around. Mm -hmm. So, um, so once they get into the land, then that's when they're going to have all that stuff. They're going to immediately have oil mm -hmm. and wine and grain because it was planted by the people that they overtook. Right. So, um, just like you know, they would have houses that they didn't build. They also have crops that they didn't plant, mm -hmm. and so they would immediately be able to reap the benefits of going into the land filled with milk and honey. And, and we're going to see in the next chapter that um, that people that rebelled are kind of <laughs> saying <laughs> not. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, so those are the things I, I, I noticed about the, the uh, offerings. Um, also that there's provision for unintentional sins. Now, the, the, like the first offerings, I think he's talking about, um, uh, those are voluntary offerings. Um, right. We studied this before. They're voluntary. They're fulfilling a vow, the appointed feasts, and um, uh, free will offerings. Mm -hmm. um, but, like when you're offering something to God, there's a specific way. Mm -hmm. um, and we've talked about that before. Um, but then he gets into unintentional sins, offerings for unintentional sins. Um, 
but then when it comes to the the intentional sins, it's like, well, what's the what's the offering for that? There isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reminds me of Hebrews ten twenty six, where it says, "There's no more sacrifice for willful sin." Yeah. And so, he uh, the writer of Hebrews wasn't saying something new. Mm-hmm. They knew there's no sacrifice for intentional sin. Yeah. Um, but a certain fearful expectation. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this is. Basically, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're sinning inten- intentionally, then there's nothing left for you except you get to be stoned outside the camp. Right. Um, and, then, and then we have an example yeah. of a person who sins intentionally, and this is what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like, well, this is kind of lame. I mean, he, well, he was just picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. But... It was obviously intentional because everyone knew they weren't supposed to be doing that on the Sabbath. Yeah. And also, it's interesting to me that, uh, so there's no provision in in all of God's laws for, like, perpetual incarceration. Mm-hmm. Like, we have that. That's what we mainly do with our criminals. We put them in jail mm-hmm. and just leave them there for a while. Yeah. And the only time that they would... They would, they would detain someone, but it wasn't for very long. Right. It was just until we can figure out what to do. It mm-hmm. wasn't like for a year or even a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting that all of God's laws make provisions for people who do, who violate the law, mm-hmm. and different things for you know punishment fits the crime for a lot of things. But there was no punishment that was like, you just get to sit in jail forever. Yeah. So it just kind of makes me wonder about our penal system anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Like, people should, like, this is what you did. This is the penalty for that. Done. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, then the tassels on the corners of the garments. And, and then uh, uh, um, I didn't have much to comment on it, on that. Just um, the the emphasis on we're seeing it here again um like we've seen so many times before on um i am the lord your god he brought you out of the land of egypt to be your god i am the lord your god he says it twice in the same sentence mm-hmm. um or in the same verse um so just a constant reminder that i am god and this is why you're going to be doing this because i am your god mm-hmm. And um, this is how you can honor me as God. Yeah. All right. Anything to add to that, Elizabeth? Yeah, just a couple, just more minor points. I thought it was important that at the beginning of the chapter, God kind of renews this promise that he is still giving them the land. Because this is coming on the heels of the bad report, and God saying, okay, this generation is not going in, and the people trying to go and take it, and then getting absolutely decimated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important that God repeats to them, yes, I'm still giving you the land, just not now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing um, I also thought of Hebrews 10.26, I made of know that, so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, the last thing was in that bit on the tassels, in verse uh, 39, it's supposed to be a reminder so you don't play the harlot after your own heart and your own eyes, which made me think that's the exact same language that's used when they're following after other gods. Mm-hmm. And it was just 
interesting for me to see, and we've already kind of, you kind of get this impression even in like Exodus, of the people don't even really start out super faithful to God. So even when there aren't actual like Baals or false gods involved, they're still being led astray by something. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't know, just kind of sad to see that they started off with it and never really got out of it until like captivity basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Are right. any other comments before we go to to chapter sixteen? Okay. All right. So Elizabeth, do you mind walking us through just the narrative real quick on sixteen for yeah. the chapter on Korah? Yeah. So chapter sixteen just generally is Korah's rebellion and the aftermath of that. And so Korah is a Levite and he's one of the Kohathites. So him and his family would be like the people responsible for carrying the, uh, the objects in the tabernacle places. So like the Ark of the Covenant and the lampstand and all those things. That was his job. Um, and so he got a couple of buddies and then 250 people and they're well-known, well-respected people. And they rise up against Moses and they accuse Moses and Aaron basically of holding more authority than they're supposed to. It says that they've exalted themselves um, among the rest of the assembly, which is kind of funny because we've just had this problem in chapter 12 where Miriam and Aaron are like, hey, who who put you in charge? And God was like, well, well, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's Korah bringing this up. And it's also funny the implication that Moses wouldn't exalt himself because mm-hmm. we know from that same Miriam and Aaron incident that Moses was the meekest man on earth. Like, Moses wouldn't be doing that. Um, I also thought that he didn't really want the job in the first place. But that's a side (laughs) tangent. Um, So, you see Moses um, falling on his face before the Lord, and instead of asserting his authority, which he could do, he puts it in God's hands. And says, basically, tomorrow we're going to have a test. And you guys, if you guys think that you should be the priests and you should be in charge, put incense on your um, little fire pans, and God's going to decide who's actually going to be in charge. Um, so then there's, like, the secondary complaint um, where Dathan and Abiram, the other guys that are there with Korah, um, Moses calls on them so he can, like, I'm assuming talk to them, work it through, be like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. And they refuse to go. And I think it's really funny. They said, you have brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey, mm-hmm. referring to Egypt, and basically saying, we're going to die out here in the wilderness, and you're not giving us what you promised, basically um, <laughs> kind of accusing Moses of being a standard politician, giving all these promises mm-hmm. and then not following through. Um, so Moses is, is pretty much done. Like Summer said in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, he, Moses gets angry and tells God, like, do not accept this. They're not doing what's right. I haven't done anything wrong to them. So just kind of defending himself, which he doesn't do very often. Mm-hmm. So I think this is very clear. This is like Moses is on his last straw mm-hmm. before he just absolutely snaps. Um, so they call together the, the test and the 250 men, um, 
come and they bring their their censers and then God tells Moses and Aaron God's pretty much done with them too he says Moses and Aaron get away from these people we're gonna wipe them out we're gonna start from scratch which he has already um threatened to do on multiple occasions Mm -hmm. as we've gone through numbers um and again we see Moses and Aaron showing this humility um, and interceding on behalf of the people, even though they're very clearly frustrated with them and mm-hmm. hurt by these accusations, but still willing to intercede on their behalf, which um, just shows kind of that depth of character. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So God ultimately decides that, yes, Moses and Aaron are in charge. And, like, obviously he had already decided that, but he was going to demonstrate that to the people, so... They tell everyone to get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses says, okay, if I'm in charge, uh, or if I'm not supposed to be in charge, then these guys are just going to die a normal death and, you know, I'm a liar. But if they are, if Moses is the one who's supposed to be in charge, then God's going to call up something new. He's going to call up something great to be a sign. And the earth just swallows them up. Like, it just opens, they all fall in, and it just closes. Mm-hmm. Um, and after, after that happens, then the other people who were, um, on their side rebelling against Moses and Aaron, um, the fire of the Lord comes out and consumes them. So that's the, the end of the rebellion. And then we have the, the priest going and taking the censers, like all the metal objects that the, um, the rebels were carrying mm-hmm. and they they have been holy they've been consecrated um so those get used as offerings in the service of the temple and then the next day people are like hey you just killed all these people and um moses and aaron uh, again are kind of on the bad side of the people's good graces and god says, hey, I'm going to wipe them out. Like, get away. We're going to consume them. And again, they intercede on behalf of the people. And God says, okay, I'm not going to wipe them out, but he sends a plague. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron comes out, and he's got his fire pan and the incense, and he stops the plague. And so 14,700 people die between the plague and the, you know, on top of those who died in Korah's rebellion. Mm-hmm. That was about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot. There's a lot going on here, obviously, yeah. in this chapter. Um, so as far as um, observation, <clears throat> Sherry, if you want to start, and then I'll add any in addition to what um, you've got. Okay. This is really the first time reading through this that I noticed that I, I always thought, I mean, just because this is the way we've always taught in the Bible class, that Korah, Dathan, and Byram were all Levites. They were not. Right. Uh, and so, at first I was reading through it, and I was like, why is he dealing with Korah? On some things, they're, they're together. But on some things, he's like dealing with Korah over here, and he's dealing with Dathan and Byram over here. Well, it's because Dathan and Byram were from the tribe of Reuben, mm-hmm. and there's this other guy named On, which is only mentioned once in there. Um, and then, but Korah was a Levite. So mm-hmm. he's like, you, we're going to deal with you this way because you're a Levite and you should have known better. Mm-hmm. And then these other people we're going to deal with in this way. Um, 
And so I thought that was interesting um, because I'd never noticed it before. Um, I don't know why it says it right there, but I just <laughs> never, I just, maybe I just sort of glossed over it. Anyway, um, so um, it, in verse 8, um, particularly, I noticed that um, Moses is addressing Korah and the Levites that are following him. Because So some of the people that, however many, whether 250, um, that were following, some of them were Levites and some of them were, you know, I guess maybe from the tribe of, from the other tribes, I don't know. Um, I know Dathan and Abiram were from Reuben, but I don't know about the other people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say, but... Um, but um, Moses says, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? It's like, is that not enough? Like, what else do you want? Mm-hmm. Like, you want to be priests, too. Well, that's not going to happen. So, but, I mean, how unthankful can you be that mm-hmm. here God has chosen you, this tribe, to be the ones that are close to him and that are the leaders of the people, and you're all just like, well, if we can't be the priest, then, you know, mm-hmm. um, then we, you know, we don't want to be second fiddle. We, just want, we want to be first fiddle. Yeah. And so, um, it's just this extremely... Um, uh, huge um, rebellious attitude on the part of Korah and the Levites that are that are following after him that they would say well it's not good enough that we're Levites we also want to be Aaron and Moses um, so anyway um, and it's almost like Moses is saying of everybody and the Kohathites particularly because they were the ones that were in charge of the holy things yeah um, it's like um, Moses is saying, you should have known better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you of all people should have known better. Yeah. Um, uh, and the way that Korah speaks to him, it's like, uh, and, and the way that Dathan and Abiram speak to him as well, it's like totally disrespectful. Totally disrespectful of not only Moses, but of all, also of God. Like, okay, we're supposed to go into the land of milk and honey. We came from a land flowing with milk and honey supposed to go to a land flowing with milk and honey so where's the promise mm-hmm. and what which they just refused to go in yeah right it hasn't been that long since they refused to go in and so they know they're not going in yeah because god tells them you're not going in mm-hmm. guess what your kids are going to go in you're not right and so they know that mm-hmm. but yet here they are anyway it's totally frustrating. I can understand why Moses is frustrated with these people because it's totally frustrating to me that I'm like, did I not just tell you this? Mm-hmm. Right. And here you are again questioning. And did, did you not see what happened with Aaron and Miriam when they right. when they rebelled against Moses? Yeah. Like, did you think I was going to be easier on you? Right. Like, yeah. whatever. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so that impressed me. Um, um, the fact that M- Moses and Aaron again go to make intercession for the people to keep all of them from perishing um, is just um, impressive to me mm-hmm. that 
even after even after all this, Moses and Aaron are still like, no, 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 don't destroy them, please, don't destroy them all. Um, uh, is impressive to me, and um, uh, and um, also that that the censors that they used, uh, and this is just, I'm jumping around here, but the censors that they used, it's interesting to me that they. They didn't just go well. These were those these guys as censors, and then just you know they were a charred mass. But it's like no, these have already been consecrated, so you can't unconsecrate something that's mm-hmm. been already consecrated. So they're still going to have to be dealt with in a way that is keeps them holy or separate from the other brass things. Mm-hmm. Um, so once something is consecrated, it's consecrated. It's not. You can't like just throw it away. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyway, those were the things that that um, that stood out to me. Yeah. So when you were um, addressing the Moses's speech about you know is it a small thing mm-hmm. um, that that thought uh, is is the main thing that stuck out to me through this this chapter in particular is that. You've got, you know, you, you think about people without self-awareness, and this seems like it's the height of it. And but you, but constantly, and we see it in so many other passages throughout Scripture, you have people who do not find contentment in serving God with all their heart in whatever station they're in. Um, but we see we see both sides of that. We see the very beautiful side, like where Moses, who again is, you know, would look at God and say, "I don't know that this is a wise choice," but you know, grows, you know, into that role, um, and and you see his faith develop in in that. But then on the opposite end, you see the people um, who constantly are, well, I mean, I'm a Levite. But I just move furniture around like I really need to be the guy who's doing the sacrifices or I really need to be the guy that people are coming to for advice, you know. Um, and then the same thing with Dathan and Byram. And I'm sure this is such a small representation mm-hmm. of so many more people that have that in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And even though they didn't speak out, um, you can see it well, with the 250 and I'm sure more people that there's that just that constant struggle of, you know, I know it's probably overused and super cliche, but the, you know, bloom where you're planted, you know, uh, thought. Uh, truly, the people who, you know, from the most humble to the kings that have that humility of heart that says, well, I'm here, let me be of service. That's those are the ones that are just so outstanding. But that's what sticks out to me when Moses says, "Is it is it a small thing that God has done?" You know, he that recognition that you, you're not you're not counting your blessings. You're not grateful in any way. You're just you know slapping God in the face. Um, anyway, and that's that's very heavy on my heart recently. I've uh, had a friend who has has gone that path and he's decided to slap God in the face and that's what comes to mind for me is how can you how dare you mm-hmm. when your your church family you're not only you know is your church family supporting and and all that God has promised it would be to you 
but how could you do this to God? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and I know that y'all have seen mm-hmm. that as well, and I, mm-hmm. I'm sure the people listening have and, and have that person in their mind. But mm-hmm. it is so heartbreaking to see that mm-hmm. in person. But that's mm-hmm. that's what you know that brought this chapter brought up to me is I know that I know both sides of that. I know the beautiful example. And I know the awful example. Um, and I think we've got a picture, a good picture of both here. So anyway, anything else from chapter 16 before we jump into 17? Okay. Well, just one more thing. Sure. While I was thinking about this while we were talking about it. Um, so I think people don't appreciate how much responsibility there is. You know, it's like probably a Spider-Man quote or something. Um, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. Right. And so, but it's true. Yeah. Um, so people think they want the power, but they don't want the responsibility. And right. so I feel like Moses is thinking, you really want to be me? Right. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not been a picnic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's not been a day at the beach for me. So, mm-hmm. so if you think you want to be me, um, try it. Right. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be, Mm-mm. and so I think I think a lot of people, um, I think that's a lesson for us. Just like you think you want to be the elders, right? Uh, think again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you want that power, but you don't want that responsibility, right? Yeah. So anyway, it is great weight. Okay, seventeen. Um, Sherry, do you mind doing the, just the narrative sure. part of that? Get us started. <clears throat> Um, so, so this is, this is sort of the center of the chiasm that we've been talking Mm -hmm. about, um, where Moses, where Aaron's staff buds. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so what happens basically is that, um, uh, at the end of all of this rebelliousness and everything, um, God decides to put the, um, put the period at the end of the sentence and say, okay, here's the way it is, period. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron is the high priest. And so, um, so, so he, he puts, the, puts the emphasis on everybody brings their, every, everybody, the chief of each of the tribes Take their staff. They all have staffs that they, that they use to walk, you know, and write your name on it and put them all together. And the one that sprouts is the one that I've chosen. And mm-hmm. guess what? It's Aaron's. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Aaron's. They 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 um, they come back the next day, and Aaron's rod has started to not only bud but also produce blossoms and almonds mm-hmm. so uh, overnight. And so um, I think it's a, kind of a picture of God bringing life out of dead things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's also just for them, it was a sign that Aaron is the guy. Yeah. And they were to keep that staff and keep it, um, the, it was kept in the Ark of the Covenant, and I just always wondered, like, does it keep blooming and producing, right. or, or is it just preserved? That I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works, but um, if they have to prune it back, or you know, I don't know. But anyway, it was just a um, a, a sign for them, and it was a, an important enough sign that it's one of the very few things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. There weren't very many things in there, 
Um, there was only put three things in there, and this is one of them. And so um, I think it's really more significant. We think of it as a, just kind of a nice, cool, kind of weird story, but it's actually, you know, indicative of God bringing life from death. And so, um, so I think that's probably um, the reason why they kept it in the Ark of the Covenant. Because later, after Aaron dies, you know, it's not Aaron's not the high priest anymore. So mm-hmm. um, his children are. Um, but I think it's more just a symbol of uh, of God bringing them from slavery, bringing them from something dead to to bring to life, and. Um, Something that produces something that produces fruit. Um, uh, so that's so that's the that's the um, the summary of it. Um, I I don't think I have anything else that I noticed from it other than just um, this is God just sort of um, the culmination of this of all these events leading up to it is. God basically saying, look, Aaron is the guy. I said he was the guy. I said it a bunch of different ways. I said it was the guy. He was the guy by killing the people who thought they were the guy. And so now Aaron's the guy. And um, um, and I, I think another reason maybe that they were supposed to keep it was so that it would constantly be a reminder to them. Oh, yeah. Aaron, the priesthood is the priesthood and this is yeah this is who are these are the priests and nobody else yeah elizabeth what things did you observe in chapter 17 yeah i think to that last point that sherry just made Mm -hmm. this is a demonstration that aaron and moses are in charge um i thought it was really interesting in verse 5 where he says thus i will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of israel which they grumble against you mm-hmm. so number one this is to address all the authority issues that they've been having mm-hmm. um which obviously they're complaining against god so put putting some respect um on god's name so to speak but then also to make it a little easier for moses and aaron because obviously Moses is at his wit's end with all the complaining. So I like the way this kind of demonstrates without explicitly showing that God cares about Moses and the kind of stress level of his job, mm-hmm. um, that he's going to to lessen that. And so I think um, it's good to uh, good for us to remember that God understands like our stress and wants to give us that peace, which we see all through the New Testament. And then the other thing that stood out to me is this last verse, verse 12, where the people of Israel say to Moses, um, we're perishing, we're undone, who can come near to the tabernacle? Because if we do, we're going to die, are we all going to perish? And the answer is kind of yes, because <laughs> you're not coming before the Lord mm-hmm. properly. Like, mm-hmm. we've gone through mm-hmm. Leviticus, and the whole thing about Leviticus is being holy so that you can dwell in God's presence. And if you're not being holy, then you can't be in God's presence. Mm-hmm. So if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, then yeah, you're mm-hmm. undone. You're going to perish because mm-hmm. you need to straighten up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It feels like they're being really dramatic. They're like, "Oh no, we're gonna <laughs> we're die gonna if we're die. by the tabernacle." It's like, "Well, yeah, 
Get your act together. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I appreciate you bringing that out because that was my only extra comment. And I, my very sophisticated notes on my page have a face eye rolling because it was like, after all this, like, okay, here we are. Yeah. All right. So anyway, but I, you know, and again, perspective, this is so helpful to me on the, I think I have a bad day days, you know, of look, I might even have all four of my children acting like Israelites, but that's nothing compared to mm-hmm. the great masses acting mm-hmm. like Israelites. So mm-hmm. I got nothing mm-hmm. on Moses. But yeah, exactly. um, anyway, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate Sherry is always bringing out the structure uh, portions of that. Um, and I'm looking forward to, as we go through um, some of these next few chapters, to see uh, some more parallels since we've reached the peak and start coming down um, and, and and pulling those out too. So anyway, thank you all so much. I appreciate all your um, work in, in your own note-taking and coming together to share that and looking forward to the next time.